Toss a turn, I keep stressing my mind, mind. I look for peace, but see, I don't attain. What I need for keeps this silly game we play, play. Now look at this. Madness the magnet keeps attracting me, me. I try to run, but see, I'm not that fast. I think I'm first, but surely finish last, last. Cause day and night. The lonely loner seems to free his mind at night He's all alone through the day and night The lonely loner seems to free his mind at night So honestly, when I was planning this out, the first song that popped into my mind was Crazy by CeeLo. Uh, then I thought on it further and was like, nah, there's got to be something better. So here we are with Kid Cudi's Day and Night from his 2009 album, Man on the Moon. What's good, everybody? It's Cedric Warren here with Said Talk. Get it? Like TED Talk, but it's me. A couple things. First off, want to wish everyone who listens uh, a happy Black History Month. All right. Uh, during this month, the podcast is definitely going to be focusing on topics directly related to Black and African-American peoples. Uh, we do that a lot anyways, uh, but we definitely want to highlight a lot more people in this great month as well. I uh, want to give a shout out to everybody who has recently followed the Said Talk page. Thank you so much. Uh, followers are steady growing, so I really, really appreciate that. And uh, it's really exciting to see this grow. This started as a, like, you know, just an idea. And then one day I had to fulfill some time that was open. And then now we are here 11 episodes later and we're still going strong into 2020. So on this episode, we have another guest and she will help us explore our topic for the week. Uh, normally we have multiple topics, but today uh, I feel like this topic is so important that it deserves an episode of its own. Uh, so this week's topic, as you saw on Wednesday, is black mental health. So everybody... Welcome, Miss Ananda Bates. Hello. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, so first of all, before we get into kind of the topics uh, within this topic, uh, definitely tell us about yourself, your experience, how you got into what you're doing, um, why you're passionate about it, all that good stuff. Um, well, I've been an addictions therapist for over 12 years. Um, currently, right now, I am the executive director of an organization called NR, which is the Indiana Affiliation of Recovery Residences. And what we do is we certify um, what people used to call like halfway houses, sober living homes. Um, now we call them recovery residences because we'll talk about later why language matters. Um, and so we call them recovery residences. And so we certify them all over the state. Um, prior to that, um, I spent almost 10 years as a therapist. And so working with people who struggle with mental health issues as well as addiction issues. Um, I think that black mental health is more important to me now um, because in my journey, I 
have always wished that more African-Americans would get into treatment. And so I started to explore and do some research on my own to kind of figure out why we don't go to treatment. And so now I'm very passionate about exposing that and having those difficult conversations um, so that my people, our people will be well. For sure. That's great. That's great. Uh, I've wondered that too, why not only just um, coming from the perspective of public health and once working in the medical field for a while too, why we don't seek treatment, right? Yeah. Uh, we'll, we're steady using grandma's old remedies for everything or just trying to pray it away. Yeah. And oftentimes we need to do more. Uh, so uh, I've seen recently on social media, uh, the news and just talking with people as well, knowing um, a couple of other people who are therapists as well, that there is a stronger movement, a stronger push to increase uh, African-Americans to seek treatment, which I think is great. Uh, social media is a powerful tool. So I think people are really working to protect those spaces and their mental health too. So uh, thanks for your introduction for you as well. Um, I'd like to highlight this because I work in public health, but I think people forget about mental health and it falls under the umbrella of public health. Right. Uh, it's like the redheaded stepchild. Uh, public health gets little money. Mental health gets like even less, less money. Yeah. I was about to say littler, but that's not a word. No, that's not a word. It's not a word. Um, <laughs> I've been in Indiana too long. Oh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, Let's start off with, I think you have some statistics regarding mental health uh, specific to black and African-American people. Um, it's so interesting that you talk about like why we don't go to treatment and looking at like um, the factors that kind of play into that. And one of the statistics that continues to be alarming to me is that approximately 30% of African-American adults that have a mental illness, whether that's undiagnosed, misdiagnosed, um, or they're not receiving any treatment, um, where it's compared to the U.S. average of 43%. So there is definitely a huge disparity where we have 30% of African Americans with mental illness receiving treatment versus the average, um, that's 43%. Um, and I think that there are a lot of factors that go into that. Um, as we know, there are many socioeconomic um, disparities, like many other um, minority communities that play into that. And it could be exclusion from health because we think about in 2017, 11% of African Americans had no form of health insurance. And so that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day. But when we think about exclusions from health, we think about um, educational disparities, social and economic resources, um, all of those disparities definitely contribute and play a word. Um, play into um, worse mental health outcomes for African-Americans. For sure. That's across the board. Uh, access is a huge... Absolutely. Uh, uh, what's the word I want to use? Determinant. Mm -hmm. There you go. For uh, the outcomes for us as well. So access definitely plays a role in it. Uh, I think that's one of the things that got me into public health was learning about how so many of us do not have access to 
not just healthcare, but proper and good healthcare. Right? Absolutely. And so another, and that makes me think about, um, there was a study that came out from APA, which is the American Psychiatric Association. They did some research and it showed that African Americans are less likely to receive consistent care. Um, they're less likely to be included in research when that happens, and but they're more likely to utilize the emergency rooms or urgent cares and different things like that. Um, so I think that that definitely plays a factor in that. For sure. Uh, <clears throat> I think a lot of it is just our, uh, I guess you can say strength and willingness and a lot of the things we've been through. You know, we there's definitely medical mistrust that definitely plays Absolutely. a role in it. Uh, so because you think about the most infamous one with the Tuskegee study, uh, and if you're unfamiliar with that, uh, in the 1940s, uh, the U.S. Public Health Service, U.S. government had a group of black farmers in Alabama. They were studying the effects of uh, syphilis and were trying to find a cure for it. Uh, long story short, they gave these men syphilis. Uh, they found a cure, but continued to study mm -hmm. much longer after the cure was discovered to see what the final and long-term effects of syphilis was. Uh, so from that, um, we now have what's called the Institutional Review Board, or IRB, right. which is uh, implemented in all mental health, public health studies, if you're involving humans as well. So yeah, I think a lot of it is just you know medical mistrust. We, we're just strong people, so if it's not falling off if it's not you know completely broken we're not gonna go yeah uh, stuff like that but the crazy thing about that is like you like we are a strong people and we've experienced a lot we've endured a lot um as african americans and i feel like that's a strength of ours because many of us are resilient but at the same time i feel like it has hurt us in so many ways um because we're so strong like oh we'll just get over it when people are experiencing symptoms of depression right. and it's affecting them in many areas of their life they're like oh i'll shake it off oh, it's just the blues. Um, and then they just kind of keep it going and they continue to suffer in silence for so many years. And so I think that's why it's so important to have these conversations and to start to educate people about that because not only um, is it like this mistrust, but it's also a lack of information and a misunderstanding about mental health. Um, and like I said earlier, language matters. And you yes. said that you wanted to use the... Um, song crazy and that just makes me think about like for me that's one of like my pet peeves I try not to use that word as much because language really does matter and if we think about the word crazy um and insane asylums and like the history of that people think that oh if I go to treatment I go and see a therapist then I'm crazy they're going to put me on medications and things like that and it's just like no because if you continue to operate the way that you are you're operating in insanity and it's just like why not go to a professional to get an unbiased opinion on how you can get better and be well. For sure. We want to use uh, people first language. Absolutely. Look at uh, you. I Listen, <laughs> I, I, know, I know a couple of things. Oh, man. That's, okay. I'm telling you, that's like one of my biggest pet peeves. I used to get on my staff like they would be like, oh, she's schizophrenic. No, she is a person yeah, with schizophrenia. schizophrenia. Yeah. People first language. Yes. Uh, another thing for you to look up, if you don't know, for all those who are outside of public health, uh, health care, people first language. Um, and that really plays into our next kind of uh, subtopic is we want to talk about stigma, right? Absolutely. Stigmatizing, uh, and you, you alluded to it, um, when people consider going 
to get treatment mm-hmm. uh, as well. I know I've not first learned about stigma, but recognized stigma in health and access to health, working in HIV prevention back home in South Carolina. And a lot of the constituents that we worked with talking about how sometimes it was difficult or they chose, you know, not to get tested or people choose not to get tested because they go into buildings with the name AIDS or HIV on it. And it's very stigmatizing as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they choose not to. So what are some ways we can, of course, we talked about people first language, but what are right. some other ways that we can reduce the stigma of seeking treatment within the black community? Absolutely. Um, so before we do that, if it's OK, I want to talk about maybe like some other ways that stigma kind of shows up in black mental health. Sure. Um, so You're the we, expert here. <laughs> so we talked about like lack of information and misunderstanding about mental health. And so a lot of African-Americans have trouble like recognizing the signs and symptoms of mental health conditions. I hear people see people on social media throwing, oh, she's bipolar, he's bipolar, and throwing that around and really not understanding that. And when people do that and really don't recognize the symptoms and don't understand that, then it leads them to underestimating the effects of these mental health conditions. Um where they just, like I said, made mistake like, oh, depression for, oh, it's just the blues. Oh, I'm just having a bad week or a bad month and I'll snap out of it. Um, another stigma I think that is huge in the African-American community is faith and spirituality. Definitely. You said earlier, like, just pray about it. Just pray about it. That's, just pray about it. And it's just, By his stripes, right, we are I, healed. I am healed. Me? And while we wholeheartedly believe that, right. um, and I always say like Romans 8, 8 and 28, like all things are working together for my good. And while I believe that by his stripes, I'll be healed. But what am I going to do in the meantime until he decides to do that? What if God says, well, not today, Ananda, yeah. then what am I going to do? That does not negate our responsibility. It doesn't. As humans. So we can love Jesus and have a therapist too. We can. And I I truly believe that how it works is that God gave us these talents. He gave gave you the talent of working with people and having the ability to communicate with people and help them through their addiction, through their troubled times and stuff like that. God gave people these these strengths to do that. And we should utilize that. You know what I'm saying? Yes, put your faith in God and that, you know, if you're a believer, uh, put your faith in God and that you believe that he will heal you and move you forward. But at the same time, faith without works is dead. Absolutely. Right? So have the faith, but then go see your therapist. Too. That's the works part. That's the you works. Know what I mean? That's the, the works. <laughs> and a very interesting study that I, I read about and actually did some research on and, and used for my uh, master's project was that African-Americans tend to adhere more to medical advice and regimens if yeah. their provider has a spiritual connection as well. Absolutely. And not just the spiritual connection. So that becomes difficult because as a therapist, we are not to um, kind of put our, you know, religious beliefs onto our clients. But if I have a client that identifies as Christian, um, then we'll have those conversations. And so not only that, but one of the other stigmas um, is that 
we prefer to have providers and therapists that look like us. Okay. I've seen so many times where people are like, hey, um, can you do you can you tell me of any black female therapists or black male therapists? I mean, because check it like in, in the communities that a lot of us come from, we experience PTSD. So there is trauma just by violence and um, if it's poverty and different things like that, that affect us and people are not you're not you're not going to feel comfortable as a black man going to an old white man that's a therapist and say, hey, this is my experience as a black man. I'm struggling with this. It's causing me stress. It's affecting me in my everyday life. He doesn't know how to identify that. So a lot of times they like to look for people that look like them. For sure. Can you quickly just uh, and I think most people know, but for those who don't, can you elaborate on the term PTSD? Oh, PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, And so that is typically, I don't want to go like too into it and talk about like the symptoms um, and the criteria to meet that diagnosis. But if someone experiences, um, has a very traumatic experience, um, it could be. um, So for me, I just use myself as an example. Um, When I was growing up in middle school, one of my good friends, he got killed in front of my house. Mm -hmm like right by the um, driveway, um, right in front of me. Um, And so that's a very traumatic experience. And so every day when I would walk home or on my way to school, I would see that blood stain and it was a reminder of, you know, that incident. Um, And so that was very traumatic for me. Um, And so that can manifest and show up in different ways from having nightmares, um, different things like that. And so I think that a lot of African-Americans, because they have experienced kind of poverty and kind of gun violence and maybe losing people and the crack epidemic and all of those things um, that can create some trauma for a lot of people. For sure. So getting back to the stigma piece, um, you talked about um, how stigma shows up. So again, so how can we get to reduce that stigma and improve our, I guess, rates of people, of our people going to see therapists? Absolutely. We so need more therapists. We need more black therapists. So, yes. um, so that's always um, something. So I'm always trying to encourage people um, to either get themselves out there and let people know that they're there and they're available and they provide these services. Um, but I think that also on a bigger scale, just thinking about agencies and organizations, whether it's mental health or public health, that there's a lack of cultural competency. When it comes to African-Americans, our culture, um, different things like that, where they don't care to learn and understand that we get kind of boxed in and pigeonholed like, oh, it's the, the same for everybody. And that's not always the case. And so I think that there needs to be more education on a higher level um, and really not just have these trainings just to sign off and say that we had a cultural competency training and over oh, culturally competent, but really having the people on the front lines to making sure that those things are being implemented. Right. And you really should say, and I learned this uh, when I was working in HIV prevention, because we worked with a lot of different uh, groups of people, cultural humility, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Versus competency. Competency, really, you talk about maybe doing something with a computer or a test or something like that. Uh, With people, it's ever changing. Right. Right. The experience for African-Americans is different across the board. Your experience is different from mine. Right. uh, As well. But we still face a lot of common things as black people. Absolutely. Um, But our individual.
individual experiences vary as well. So uh, I think those therapists, you know, have to learn not only the culture as a whole, but, you know, it's just going to vary. Absolutely. Across the board. It's going to vary across the board. And we don't all come from, you know, everybody wasn't raised in the projects or in the ghetto. Everybody didn't experience poverty. Um, And you know what I mean? And different things like that. So we don't want to pigeonhole our own selves and kind of use those same stereotypes. Um, But I can say the times that I have treated more often than not, my the African-American clients in the facility, if they knew that there was a black therapist, they all wanted to be on my case. So and I appreciated that because I could identify, even if it's with growing up in, you know, in poverty, um, my mother being addicted to drugs my entire life and just experiencing the things that I've experienced before and even being in therapy myself as an adolescent, I can identify, you know, in those ways. And just to have someone that looks like you um, kind of takes a huge weight off your shoulders. And I feel like if they said, like, I've been in treatment before, but I've never opened up this much and shared, you know what I mean, this much as I have with you. And so that's always a good thing that they trust you to be able to do that. For sure. I think naturally, uh, even in situations outside of this, we gravitate towards people who look like us. Absolutely. And and (laughs) if you went to... A PWI, which is a predominantly white institution, like both of us have, you probably walked into one of your classes, especially your major specific classes, on the first day, sat down and looked around for what? Other black people. Other black people in there, right? Yeah. Because you could understand that likely you both are facing some of the same things and you likely might know some of the same people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, most institutions around the country aren't hitting double digits in African-American right. um, enrollment, uh, which is something that you know I try to work on, but that's a whole different uh, episode topic. Um, so, you know, we naturally gravitate towards people who look like us. So I, I can understand why yeah. it happens with that, because now you're you're getting to a very vulnerable spot. Right. Absolutely. You're talking about things that uh, that are affect you emotionally and yeah. very personal, uh, personal. And if you wouldn't just share it with anybody, you know, people that you're already close with yeah. who, you know, think of how difficult it can be to share with somebody you don't know. And then think about too that goes back to you talking about like how we are taught to be strong and I think one of the strongest people that I have ever met and ever encountered is my 91 year old grandmother. She's the strongest woman I know but at the same time I feel like because of the things she's experienced and she's experienced a lot in her 91 years that it has kind of emotionally stunted her mm-hmm. and so while on one hand that's like really good a lot. We're just taught to like just shrug it off or it's not okay to be vulnerable. Right. It's not okay to like feel. And so, and we got to remember at the end of the day, we're still in, in a white man space. Always. You know what I mean? So even if, you know, you talk about as, you know, when you were at school, I remember when I was at Purdue and I was in a classroom in the electrical engineering building and that classroom is seated 500 people and they just walking in and I'm like, so where are the people that look like me? And it's probably less than 10 of us in that classroom. Um, And so just to make eyes, you know, eye contact with that person, just to say hello, like it was like this mutual understanding, like we got each other, like I'm providing that comfort to you 
you and I was like, all right, I can get through this because right. it can be difficult to navigate. I mean, even now when I go to trainings, meetings right. that I go to, I am the only black woman, yeah. you know, in the room. And so now I'm like the, the African-American delegation and they're looking at me and I'm like, I don't speak for, right. you know, the entire um, delegation. Right. Professionally, I definitely experienced that moving here, coming from South Carolina, where <laughs> yeah. there was still a lot of white people in areas, but I had a lot of um, managers and directors who looked like me, so the environment was a little bit different. Now, the people higher, higher, but executive level was still very much white yeah. and elsewhere across the state. Uh, but here, there's a lot more, so there's yeah. a lot less. So I have experienced that professionally as well. Uh, and for those who don't know, Purdue University is in West Lafayette, Indiana, and it's probably all of 15 black people in the whole city. Boiler up. It is. That's not true. It was like at least like a thousand, maybe a little under a thousand. But you only really saw maybe half of those because I would always be on the yard and be like, where did you come from? And they're like seniors. And I'm like, what? <laughs> who are you? So I was always running into um, black people I've never seen before. It was always exciting to meet new black people. It was. You know. It was. It is. Okay. Okay. Uh, To (laughs) keep rolling. We were talking about the right provider. So, like, how do you know, like, looking for a right provider? Yes. Um, So, a couple of questions that I always encourage people to ask um, when they are looking for a provider is to just come out and ask them. Because at the end of the day, this is your life. This is your wellness. Um, And don't be afraid to ask these questions. I always say... Ask, have you treated other African-Americans before? Like, that's a very common question because if you live in Zionsville or Brownsburg, that's predominantly white. Where These are suburbs of <laughs> Indianapolis. Yes, and they are predominantly white. And if you're going to see a therapist out here in Brownsburg, they've probably just seen... Mostly white. Mostly white people. So it's important to ask, like, have you treated other African-Americans? Um... Another question is, have you received training in cultural competence on African-American mental health? That's very important because, again, we talk about this lack of cultural competence and people just kind of go through the motions, you know, to either get their continuing education units or to say, hey, we did this. Um, But to really ask them, like, have you received training on cultural issues relating to African-Americans? How do you see our cultural backgrounds influencing our communication and my treatment? Because we communicate differently. I know um, when I talk, just like I'm talking right now, because I'm not at work, I talk with my hands. Um, You know, it's a little flair in my conversation. I may use Ebonics and things like that. Lots of swag, like we do. (laughs) Lots of swag. And that can be very off-putting to white people. But at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm not going to minimize my shine or door my shine to make you comfortable. Not at all. So it is what it is. But we got to think about how different cultural backgrounds, um, how that's going to influence our communication with each other. Um, And then how do you plan to integrate my beliefs and practices in my treatment? Because what if I'm Muslim? How do you plan on incorporating that and my beliefs being Muslim and part of the nation of Islam into my treatment? If you don't know, then I can't rock with you. You can't can't see me for treatment. And I think that's the other, uh, I guess, added layer to treating African-Americans, black people, because 
not all of us are Christian. We have black Absolutely. Muslims. We have black Catholics. We have black Jews. We have... Uh, We're just everything. Right. And, so and that's why I say black and African-American because some people choose to identify as African-American or having descendants of Africa, the Caribbean area, or they may be from another country mm-hmm. and their skin is black. Right? Yeah. So they identify as black more so... Um, compared to an ethnic group versus like a race. So, mm-hmm. you know, you could be uh, a black person from Greece. There is, that's the thing. Right. Um, shout out to Giannis in the NBA. Um, so, you know, those that's just another added layer that you mentioned. So that was good that you mentioned that. Uh, and that communication piece is definitely important. Uh, I think what can sometimes seem as attitude or uh, talk back or just whatever, you know, Yeah. can, you know. It can be taken the wrong way because um, I They're being, uh, uh, a person could be like, they they seem non-compliant or something like that. Or something like that. And then not just that, like I just think about um, just being a black woman in executive leadership. I'm very passionate when I talk and I'm very assertive. So I say what I mean and I mean what I say, but I do it in a very respectful manner. Sometimes white people don't know how to take that. Um, and it can come off as being aggressive. It's the same thing when you're working with African-Americans in treatment. Their tone may be different. They may be coming across as being non-compliant when that's really not the issue. So definitely communication bar- um, barriers can have a role in that. Yeah, I think the best question that you mentioned was just about the culture, right? And them understanding black culture. Yeah. Um, and how that relates to everyday struggles, right? Because it can easily be written off as this is just you, you know what I'm saying? And you're complaining, it's not that bad. It's not that Racism bad. doesn't exist. Right. And a <laughs> the lot of, man. Right. And, and because it's not, I won't say it's not blatant and in your face, but it's not we don't have signs on doors anymore that say whites only. Yeah, it's very At least, that, at least what we know of. Right. I, I ain't seen none, but I'm I, And know. I bet not seen none because I'm a bar Right. It down. Anyways. Um, and I, I think that um, with Trump administration, that's a whole nother thing. Like, I think that there are some people who are becoming more um, kind of out there with their beliefs and things like that. But for, for the most part, it's very like under the radar and things like that. Right. Um, but we know when we feel it and it's not like, oh, I'm just making this up. This is all in my head. Microaggressions. Microaggressions. Yes. I was about to call them microcosms. I was like, I don't that's think that's the it. right word. Microaggressions. That's what happens when you go to Purdue. Oh, whatever. All right. (laughs) Uh, We got a couple more things before we we wrap up, so we're doing good. Uh, So talk about, we talked about uh, the statistics that you mentioned, the stigma, good questions to ask. So those are great. Thank you for those. But talk about, so... Say we're we're improving on stigma, right? We're we're not afraid to seek treatment, right. and we're talking to our friends. So, how do we start to talk to our friends and family about seeking treatment? And what are some of the things that we can recognize to say that maybe you know you might need help for a certain condition? Um, I think that you have to, and this is just my opinion. I think with mental health issues and things like that, you have to treat it lightly. Um, and really think about who you're disclosing this information to because everybody is not going to understand that. It could be grandma. Um, if I went and explained that to my grandma today, she would probably be like, nothing's wrong with you. You're not crazy. You're not this, you're not that. Everybody's not going to understand that. 
Um, so you really have to be mindful of who are you having this conversation with? Who is this person a safe place? Is this a safe person that I can say, hey, I'm in treatment? But then I, I used to tell, I tell my clients all the time, you do not have to disclose that you're in treatment. That's nobody's business. Right. If you're in treatment, if you're taking antidepressant medications, if you're taking antipsychotic medications, that is nobody's business. That's your personal information. Just like when you go to the doctor and things like that, and you have those personal conversations, that's not for everybody to know. And so I think that people really have to look at their relationships and say, is this a safe place or is this somebody that's going to talk me out of it and make me feel bad? Right. Um, but I think that starting those conversations and having those conversations are so important. And when looking at, we got to look at our family, our friends, our peeps and things like that. When somebody is struggling um, with a mental health disorder, it is manifesting and showing up in every area of their life. Um, and with any diagnosis, um, what the language that is in there, that it impairs their daily functioning. Mm -hmm. So for example, when we think of common mental health diagnoses, so depression and anxiety. So there is a lot of conversation, especially on social media about depression and symptoms of depression versus anxiety. And a lot of times people can experience those at the same time. And I posted several things to help people understand so that they can not self-diagnose, but recognize like, hey, I'm experiencing those these symptoms. Maybe I need to go get checked out. Mm -hmm. When it starts to impair your daily functioning, so what I mean by that is that if you are experiencing signs of depression, so you love playing basketball, you love playing the piano, that's like your favorite thing to do. You don't have an interest in doing that anymore. You're feeling sad and feeling hopeless most of the time. Um, there's either been a, you've gained weight or you lost weight. You're sleeping too much or not sleeping enough. Um, and it's affecting your daily life. So maybe you haven't gone to work at least once once a week for the past month because you just don't have the motivation to get out of bed. You aren't taking a shower daily like you're supposed to, taking care of your personal hygiene. You've kind of withdrawn and isolated yourself from family and friends and things like that. People calling your phone, blowing you up and you're not answering the phone. Things like that, it's impairing your daily function, your relationship with your friends and family, work life. Um, that's what I mean by impairing your daily functioning. So if you know that, okay, Joe hasn't gotten out the bed in like two, three days. He hasn't taken a shower and this is not really like him. He's not eating. He doesn't have an interest. Then that kind of, you know, raises some red flags that, hey, maybe Joe needs to go. Sure. But we can't make people go. We can just provide them and say, hey, I'm concerned about you because of this. And here are some resources that maybe you can use. Good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, it's always tough. It's a tough topic. Um, I think I equate it to people going to the doctor. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, when they feel something in their body, a lot of people like to shake it off and be like, oh, it's fine. It's nothing bad. How it was uh, with my ankle last week. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, well, that's a good segue into our last couple um, things. We have about 10 minutes left, but um, our last two. So the last two things I want to talk about. One is how do we begin to heal? And then the resources, like you mentioned, that we can uh, access. So in a quick summary, tell us about how we can begin to heal as people. And what I mean by that is how do we start to recognize that we've been through a lot, right. we're going through a lot, um, 
and past traumas can creep up in new ways. Absolutely. Um, so how do we kind of, you know, begin to, I guess, build a, a fortification to protect ourselves? Um, and I'll say this again. We got to start by having um, those conversations about mental health in the black community. Um, and I think the biggest piece is that people have to just take that leap and just open their mouth. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, again, people are suffering in silence and not saying anything. So just opening their mouth and saying, okay, something's not right. And I've been encouraging people that it's okay to not be okay. We don't always have to be strong. I think that the the strongest person is the one who is okay with being vulnerable and saying, hey, I'm having a weak moment. That makes you human. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that we just run around here with the superwoman, superman complex um, as a black community. And, again, we're continuing to suffer. So definitely starting and having those conversations um, and just opening your mouth and understanding that it's okay to not be okay. Um, And it's just like when we think about the definition of insanity, it's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. It's just like, when are you going to be sick and tired of being sick and tired? Right. Um, And doing something to really help that because there are so many techniques that people can use that only a professional, you know, can kind of assist you with so that you can be well. Um, I think that also as a community we have to show compassion Um, I think that's really big because as long as we continue to shun people or tease them and call them crazy and some, you know, something's wrong with you um, because they're going to see a therapist or because they're on medications, um, I think that that will continue to add to that stigma. So showing compassion to people, you don't have to understand what they're going through, but they're trying to get better. And that's all that you need to understand. So definitely showing compassion to people um, that are struggling with mental health issues, again, language matters and using that person first language um, is so important and then advocating um, in any way that you can if that's increasing cultural competence on your job if that's somebody saying crazy like hey well maybe you shouldn't use that word maybe you know Joe is just struggling with something and really just using your voice and whatever way that you can to continue to advocate for people for sure for sure Uh, and you you mentioned open your mouth and I, I meant to say this in the beginning but part of the reason that I chose Kid Cudi's Day and Night song uh, was because he himself actually came out and talked about his own struggles with his mental health, dealing mm-hmm. with depression. And I think a lot of that was played into that 2009 album that he dropped. All right. So lastly, uh, a couple more minutes, resources uh, Absolutely. that we can uh, give uh, people and anything you post or mention, I'll try to post on our okay. um Instagram page, and then you talked about the um, questions to ask. I'll post those. Okay. And then you mentioned one other thing, too, about... forgot just that quick but we'll get it to it okay all right resources so resources but before you do that the last thing i want to say um opening your mouth is also sharing your own story so i have struggled um with depression i struggle currently with anxiety but it has improved dramatically um and i experienced postpartum depression after i had my daughter and i think the biggest um thing for me to continue to heal is to share what i've been through because once i'm like 
I don't care what you think about me. Yes, I had depression. Yes, I have a therapist. I really don't care because now I'm in a good space. It's that when I share that story with people, so many people identify that and they're just like, oh my gosh, me too. Right. Then I can use that opportunity to point them in the right direction to get the help that they need. So really just doing your work and healing um, so that you can move past that and share your story because you never know how it can impact and help other people. For sure. It's like that person in a training that raises their hand and asks the question. Yes. And then after the question's been asked, they turn to you and be like, I'm so glad you asked that question because I wanted to. Yes. And 10 other people, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. My fifth grade teacher said that the only stupid question is a question not asked. Yeah. Now, I still believe there are some stupid questions. Absolutely. Literally. But I get what she was saying. Yes. Um, So, yeah. All right. And this is a sigh of relief. And so, resources. Um, So, like, if finances um, are preventing anybody from seeking help, mental health treatment, they can contact their local um, health or mental health clinic um, in your city because what a lot of them do is that they offer services on a sliding scale. If you don't have any income, you have low income, um, and you don't have insurance, and they will work with you to get you insurance that you qualify for. Um, I've had people that have paid like one to three dollars for a session. That's good. You know what I mean? Um, so contacting your local health and mental health clinics, um, you can just do a simple Google search um, or your contact your local government to see what services you may qualify for. Um, you can also contact, and I'm sure that you'll put the web this um, a website, findtreatment.samsa.gov, um, or you can call the National Treatment Referral um, Helpline, and that number is 800-662-HELP. Again, that number is 800-662-HELP or 800-662-4357. Other two things that I think are like super dope um, that I often refer people to is Psychology Today. So it's a website and you would think like, oh, it just has different, um, I get excited about it. I love being on Psychology Today because I'm a nerd when it comes to things about psychology. But not only is it just articles and studies and different things like that, you can find therapists in your area. You put in specifically what you're looking for. So if it's to treat depression, anxiety, substance use, and then you put in your zip code, it will give you a list of therapists in your area. And there are pictures on there. So if you are looking for African-American therapists, just scroll through um, and they are all there on that website. So Psychology Today is a great resource. And then the last one, um, so one of my favorite um, podcasts is Therapy for Black Girls. Um, okay. So she's like super dope. And a part of her website is that there is a list of black therapists. So you could look it up um, by your location and by your zip code to find black therapists in your area. Um, So I think that that is definitely um, another resource that people can definitely utilize. That's that, you know, at your fingertips. For sure. Access uh, that's that information is important. So that's good. Uh, Lastly, quick uh, public health, mental health pop quiz. Oh, gosh. What does SAMHSA stand for? Now, wait, uh, you're going to ask me, of all people, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. There you go. There's a lot of acronyms. So it is a lot of acronyms. But SAMHSA is like, I'm on SAMHSA all the time. Yeah. I know about <laughs> SAMHSA, too. I'm just saying. All right. So what do I get? Because I passed the, I got the answer. You get to come back. Boo. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. I would love to come back. You're a hater. Uh, <laughs> so thank you for taking the time. And before we go, too, um, 
give us your credentials. My credentials? Um, My credentials, I have um, a master's of science degree in community psychology, and I am a licensed clinical addictions counselor in the state of Indiana, but that also allows me to not only treat addictions, but also dual diagnosis. So that means a substance use disorder um, and mental health disorder. So I specialize in treating um, not just addictions, but gambling disorders, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, borderline personality and PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder. Thanks. You're welcome. Well, thank you for being on. We really appreciate you. And uh, we'll definitely have you back. We'll probably expound on some of these other topics as well. Cool. uh, And have you back. So I definitely appreciate it. I think this is a great way to kick off uh, Black History Month. Thanks to everybody who uh, stuck with me this week. Last week uh, was kind of busy. was packing up, moving to a new apartment. Uh, So I didn't really have... Yeah. So I didn't really have a lot of time to uh, prepare the episodes. I didn't want to rush it and give you uh, anything just thrown together because I think this, like I said, this was a very important topic. So I'm glad we spent the whole episode on just this. Me too. Uh, so thank you again. And uh, we appreciate you being here. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Yep. All right. So with that being said, health is wealth. In order to build the life we desire, the life we dream of, we must be healthy physically, spiritually, emotionally, and especially mentally. It all starts in the mind. Our dreams, our hopes, our thoughts. The saying is thoughts become things. So holding that to be true, we want to make sure we have good thoughts. For some of us, we find our solace in our faith. For others, it's in our families. For some, it's in music, sports, and other activities. No matter where you find that peace or that solace, make sure you do find it. A healthy mind leads to a healthy body, healthy emotions, and much more. Protect your spaces at all costs. In this year of 2020, we are seeing with clear vision and going after all that is destined for us. All right. So that's all I got. Uh, tune in next week when your favorite co-host or your adjunct host, uh, my brother, Justin Warren, is back on with me as we continue our focus on black history. Uh, you don't want to miss next week's episode either because I, you know, he's going to bring a lot of the foolishness. Uh, but we're also going to drop a lot of good uh, facts to uh, next week kicks off spring training. So we're both baseball fans. So we'll talk about black baseball and much more. Uh, so also be sure to follow said talk on Instagram at said underscore talk. You can follow me individually at I rep the fives. That's I R E P D A P H I V E on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we'll also be posting historical black figures that you probably don't know about. Uh, so we want to give you more of those people that you haven't heard of. Uh, so definitely increase your black history knowledge so you can drop it on other people uh, and tell them to stay woke afterwards. <laughs> and then lastly, be sure to copy your said talk tease. The link is in our IG bio. Uh, all proceeds go towards supporting my nonprofit organization, Palmetto Pride Sports, uh, which you can also follow on Instagram at Palmetto Pride 803. And as always, thanks for listening. And we're going to let Kid Cuddy fade us out. Mm. Toss and turn, I keep stressing my mind, mind. I look for peace, but see, I don't attain. What I need for keeps, this silly game we play, play.
Now look at this. Madness the magnet keeps attracting me, me. I try to run, but see, I'm not that fast. I think first, but surely finish last, last. Cause day and night, the lonely loner seems to free his mind at night. He's all alone through the day and night. The lonely loner seems to free his mind at night. At 